Today, I want to talk uh, to you from a story in John chapter 11 uh, about someone who died and what Jesus had to say about that. Uh, And then next week, I want to look at a scripture that is named specifically as being about grieving with hope. Grieving with hope. How do we enter into this grieving process with the, that, that where we have a hope that lays at the foundation above all the sadness, above the sort of the, 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 the pain, there's this real and authentic hope that sits beneath all of that, and it's given to us in Scripture. And then the last week, uh, we're going to talk about uh, how are we to live then in light of all that we've learned over the past three weeks. Okay, so that's the roadmap of where we're going uh, for this series, and I'm really excited uh, as we go along. So as I mentioned today, though, we're going to be in John chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn there. Uh, if you have your smartphones, you can uh, open up the Bible app. And uh, inside of the live section, the live events section, uh, if, you, you, if you search for Emmaus Road, uh, we'll be right there. We've got, uh, we've got some, our sermon outline. Uh, you can add your own notes, email them to yourself. That's a great tool. Also, uh, we ha- now have an open Wi-Fi network. It's Emmaus Road Guest. So uh, for those of you that uh, are on Sprint, yeah, yeah. <laughs> those of you that are on Sprint and you get no signal in this building, uh, you can join the, wi- the, the Wi-Fi, okay? Um, so let's just take a little poll. Those of you on AT&T, oh, that's me. Those of you on Verizon, T-Mobile, Sorry, T-Mobile. T-Mobile's going to start carrying the iPhone. Did you hear that? That's good news. Yeah, that's good news. Those of you on Cricket? Oh, yeah, all right, all right, all right. That's good. That doesn't have anything to do with the message, but that was fun. So we have a, we have a guest Wi-Fi network. Uh, you can join that, and hopefully that will help. Uh, by the way, if you have a really bad experience on our guest network, would you let us know? Uh, it's brand new. We have no idea how it works when all of you get on there on your mobile devices, if it's going to overload or whatever. So if you have a really bad experience and it won't load a web page, let us know, and we'll, we'll see what we can do. So uh, anyway, where were we? John chapter 11. Oh, yes. John chapter 11, Uh, I want to read verses 17 through 26, uh, 17 through 26. Here it goes. This is a story about a man who died. And uh, the man who died was Lazarus. And I want to pick up um, the story after Lazarus has already died and has been dead for four days. I want to pick up the story there. 17 through 26. It says this, on his arrival... Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Now, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. And I think that that illustrates for us, even in that very sentence, uh, a couple of things. Number one, we need people around us in times of loss. We need a community. Some of you... Uh, you tend to isolate yourself in times of trouble and in times of loss. And uh, I think, first of all, we need the encouragement of the community. Second of all, we grieve differently. Martha went out to meet Jesus. She was eager to speak to him. She had something to say. Mary stayed at home. And uh, that's, that's two very different approaches to how we grieve. And so uh, in the midst of loss, we can see all sorts of things going on already. Uh, but there's, there's a difference in how we react. Well, b- verse 21, Lord Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, what we don't understand, and I, I promise I'll get through this, <laughs> but what we don't understand, a little bit of the backstory, is that Martha put the word out to Jesus. My, my brother, Lazarus, is very sick, and he needs your touch of healing. And what we learn is that Jesus stayed where he was at for two more days. Jesus did nothing when given this plea for healing. He did nothing. And then he shows up after Lazarus had already died and had been dead for four days. And so Martha's question, and I think many of your questions, if you had been here, if you had done this, my brother would not have died. This would not have happened. Verse 22, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And will never die. Do you believe this? Verse 27. Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Let's pray and ask God's blessing on our time this morning. Heavenly Father, we are thankful uh, that your presence is already here, uh, that we've had the opportunity to, to worship through music. And now, Lord, as we center our hearts upon your word, would you speak to us? And Lord, would you speak to us not just to give us more information, Uh, But, Lord, would you speak to us that we might be transformed by your word and by the power of your word. So, Lord, may all of us open our hearts to you and what you desire to say to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as I read this passage several times this week and uh, was thinking about it, there's this one phrase that I think is uh, really sticks out to me. And I think it's something that a lot of us do in the face of death and loss. And it's this phrase... If only. If only. I don't know how you lost your loved one, or I don't know how you lost something important to you, or, or what the circumstances were surrounding that, but, but I would be willing to bet that you had a whole series of questions that began with, with if only. And maybe they weren't just questions. Maybe they were statements to God. Maybe you were, you were just being really honest with God, and you were saying, God, if only. And so I think we can really identify with this. Both, both Mary and Martha tell Jesus, if only. Martha goes out to meet Jesus, and she's very upfront. And the first thing she says to him, after the death and loss of her brother, she, goes, she runs out to meet Jesus, who's coming to town. And she says, if you had only been here. But Mary, who sits back, waits until Jesus, Jesus comes to, the, to their home, and then later on also says, Jesus... If you had only been here, she says the exact same thing. Both sisters have the same reaction. If only. And we do too. If only we would have found the cancer sooner. If only he wouldn't have gotten into the car that night. If only I would have known that they were so depressed. If only I had seen the signs earlier. If only I could go back and tell them what I didn't have a chance to tell them. If only God 
would have answered our prayers for miraculous healing. You see, we have this common experience. We know deep in our hearts that death does not belong. We know deep in our hearts that death is an enemy. Despite all of our efforts to normalize it, despite all of our efforts to make it more friendly than it actually is, we always have this burning question in our mind. We always have this burning thought that says, if only, if only. But I love what Jesus does in the middle of Martha's if only. And some of you might be still rolling over this idea of if only. And and maybe it was a recent loss. Maybe it was a a year ago. Maybe it was a couple years ago. Maybe just a couple months ago. Maybe it was five years ago. But as you you still sit in the pain of the lost loved one, remember, remember I said last week that somebody just needs to say that the gap won't be filled. Let's all just be honest. There's not a person who can take that person's place. There will always be a gap there. And you're still sitting in the pain of that gap and still rolling over this idea of if only. Well, I love what Jesus does in the middle of Martha's if only. What Jesus does is he points her to the future. In the midst of this death and loss, and she, she goes to Jesus, if only you would have been here. If only you would have shown up. If only you would have done as I asked. If only you would have demonstrated your power in this situation. And Jesus looks at Martha and says, your brother will rise again. And so in the midst of loss, Jesus points Martha to the hope of the future. But what we tend to do so often is in the midst of loss, we tend to look at the past. And we tend to focus on what could have been. What could have been. You know, and we focus on what could have been and what we lost. We lost, we lost a friend. We lost a companion. We lost a grandparent. We focus on what could have been. We focus on what we lost. And many times we personalize that. It's just not, it's not what we lost. It's, it's who we lost. Right? And we focus on who we lost. And then we personalize that even more. And we say, this is who that person was to me. And because they're no longer here, I'm robbed of something. And so we focus on the past. And we say, now I'm robbed of a grandfather. I'm robbed of a mentor. I'm robbed of the opportunity to get to know them. I'm robbed of the opportunity to grow old together. A spouse, right, who dies way too early. I'm robbed of the opportunity to grow old with this one that I love. I'm I'm robbed of the opportunity to see what kind of person this child was going to become. We focus on the past and what could have been and who this person was and what we were robbed of and what potential their life had. And we focus and we, and, we, and we focus on the past and we say, think of all the, the things that could have been accomplished through their life. And we say, think of all that was left undone. They were in the midst of so much. Their life had so much potential. They were really going somewhere. I mean, they were, they were God was going to use them in powerful ways. And yet now all that potential just crumbles. If only. If only. You see, our tendency is to look to the past. 
but in right in the middle of Martha's, if only Jesus points her to the hope of the future. To the hope of the future. But I think we have a lot of confusion about the hope of the future. I think we have a lot of confusion about the hope of the future. Because a lot of times in the, we, we, we tend to see ourselves and we tend to see those that we've lost uh, as, as souls or spirits that, that just sort of are flow out of the body and then go on to this, this disembodied existence called heaven. And, and so when we lose someone, we, we, we say, their, their soul is still alive or their spirit is still alive. And, and, and then we talk about how this, their spirit can, can navigate the world and, and has a lens to, to view the whole world in the same way that God does. And, and, but, but the problem with that is that there's very little in the New Testament that would suggest that that's what happens to our loved ones when they die. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that your loved one is not alive today. I'm not saying that your loved one is not experiencing all the fullness of the presence of God today. But I think that we need to readjust our language and we need to readjust our thinking in terms of that they are just spirits or souls floating around disembodied somewhere. Because the New Testament has very little to say about that. Which is why I said at the very beginning of this message that what I want to do to you is offer you truth, but I don't ever want to interfere with your grief. That if in the midst of the grieving process, if, if seeing or picturing the one that you have lost as a soul or as a spirit is helpful, then I encourage you, then pastorally, that's Okay. But once we sort of get around or past that initial pain of the loss, I think it's really important that we understand what the New Testament says about these issues. You have heard it said that um, you don't have a soul, you are a soul, and you have a body. Uh, This quote is often attributed to C.S. Lewis, uh, but there is considerable debate as to whether or not he actually ever said that. And here's, here's why I feel like there's some misunderstanding around this soul's spirit idea. If we are just souls, then death is a friend because it rids us of the body. If we are just souls, then death becomes a friend because it rids us of the body. In this case, death would not need to be defeated it would only need to be redefined or redescribed as our ally. Does this make sense? Some of you are looking at me like I'm a heretic. Okay, so I see you punching, you know. Are are those notes that you're writing or like an email that you're composing? I don't know. Um, but, But stick with me, stick with me. If we are just souls, then death becomes an ally to us because it rids us of the body. But the gospel is always physical. It's always embodied. In fact, some have tried to make this this precise air with the resurrection of Jesus, right? Orthodox Christianity, for all of time, has believed that Jesus 
resurrected bodily. There was a physical body that got up out of the grave. But as, as that story was circulating around, a lot of people tried to spiritualize Jesus' resurrection and say, oh, it wasn't a bodily resurrection. It was just his spirit that rose. And now Jesus, God's Holy Spirit, is just sort of like floating around in the world and, and, and watching everything and all of that. Now, the Holy Spirit is real, but so is Jesus who got up bodily out of the grave. There wasn't just like a spirit that left the body and the body remained in the grave. The, the body, Jesus' body, got up out of the grave and he says to Martha in the midst of her, if only, that the future hope that we have is as Christians is that we too will experience bodily resurrection into God's new creation. It's not just that we sort of exist on and on, and on forever as souls in a disembodied heaven. Are you with me? Some of you are. That's good. We've tried to over-spiritualize Christ's resurrection, and that has informed how we've understood our own death. In fact, uh, philosopher, um, Dr. Brian Ains wrote a book called Death in the Afterlife, and he says this, which is not true. This is a point to illustrate how we've got it wrong. He says this, Current Orthodox Christianity no longer holds to the belief in physical resurrection preferring the concept of eternal existence of the soul, although some creeds still cling to old ideas. So, what am I saying? Am I saying that you are just a body? No. I'm saying that we, as the peak, the height of God's creation, are a wonderful Mix and blend of personhood, soul, heart, spirit, however you want to describe it, always attached to a body. In fact, look at the garden. When he created us, it was the wind, the pneuma of God, the spirit, the soul, that breathed into dirt that was formed into a body. Adam did not have life until he was embodied and made physical. The gospel of Jesus Christ is always embodied and always physical. So when it comes to this future, I feel like we've got some work to do to to clear up some confusion so that we can really grasp the true and authentic hope that Jesus is offering in this passage. The, The word of God became flesh to dwell among us. The Bible is always concerned about the physical, the real world. The Bible never says, ditch the physical, ditch this world, ditch your body so that you can go exist as a soul in a disembodied heaven. The Bible never says that. The Bible always talks about how being embodied and is concerned about the physical. And so we're, we're, we're confused over the soul and spirit thing. We're confused over the heaven thing. Heaven is up there. It's where the souls go to live. Heaven, we believe sometimes, or we've come to believe that heaven is static, that it's always the same, that there's, that there's nothing to it, that, that we're sort of like floating on cloud cars and playing harps, you know, which sounds quite boring when you think about it. But as Christians, we've been given this picture of heaven, cloud cars, uh, care bears is what I think of when I think about, that was just my childhood. 
Which, by the way, Care Bears got weird. Like, have you seen them recently? Like, their bellies get all weird and, like, rainbows come out. And I don't remember any of that. So the Care Bears got weird. But we, we have these, like, pictures of heaven, right, where we're, where we're sort of floating around as a soul. And we, we're so light that we can ride on cloud cars. And we all get a halo and wings. And we play harps. And it's a very static existence where you're singing, like, the Hallelujah Chorus all the time. And like, and like, just as soon as you think you're going to get to sit down, the heavenly choir strikes up again and you got to stand back up, you know? And so we, we, sort of, we sort of like see heaven as this very static existence. In fact, uh, I want to give you another example of a cultural example of how we've misunderstood heaven. And I can't get, to, I can't get into all the things that scripture does say about heaven today because this fall, we're going to do a whole series on heaven and hell. And it is going to be so fun, okay? So be here this fall. Be here six months from now. <laughs> but Maria Shriver, Arnold Schwarzenegger's ex-wife, wrote a children's book called What's Heaven? And I want to read the entire book to you today. So everybody comfortable? It's a short book because it's a children's book. Heaven is somewhere you believe in. It's a beautiful place where you can sit on soft clouds. And you can talk to the other people who are there. At night, you can sit next to the stars, which are the brightest of anywhere in the universe, right? If the stars are going to be brighter anywhere, they ought to be the brightest in heaven. If you're good throughout your life, then you get to go to heaven. And when your life is finished here on earth, God sends angels down to take you up to heaven to be with him. And grandma is alive with me. Most important, she taught me, she taught me, that is grandma, taught me to believe in myself. And she's in a safe place with the stars, with God and all the angels. And she's watching over us from up there. And I want you to know, says the heroine to the great grandma, that even though you are no longer here, Your spirit will always be alive in me. Your spirit will always be alive in me. And I think that what we mean to say or what we're trying to capture when we say that someone's spirit is alive in us is that we we remember them. We remember what it was like to have them with us. But to say that their spirit is alive in me is to, to make a statement I don't believe has any scriptural grounds at all. It is the spirit of God that we invite to live inside of us and to empower us. And so we remember those that we've lost. But their spirit does not live in us. And so we've been confused about the future. And what I've described is more or less the cultural assumptions about heaven and those that we've lost. But this is not at all the future hope that Jesus points Martha to. Because you'll notice that in the midst of loss, four days after the loss of a loved one, Jesus, in the middle of Martha's, if only, does not say to her, at least we know that he's in heaven. He doesn't say, at least we know 
that his spirit is still alive in you. All these sorts of things that we've come to say to to comfort one another, Jesus does not say. He points her to a very different kind of future than what we have understood culturally. And I know this is a lot to take in. And I know that some of you are growling at me, but just relax because you're making me really (laughs) self-conscious. Jesus offers Martha a very different kind of future. One, says Jesus, where her brother will rise again. He doesn't comfort her with, at least she's in heaven, or this was God's best for him. He points Martha to the very real and physical hope of bodily resurrection. It is as though, Jesus says, that the Christian hope centers on the fact that one day death will be defeated, not generically, but very specifically in those who die in Christ. If you die in Christ, if you come to bodily death as a believer in Christ, we don't celebrate sort of the death of death generically, but Jesus offers it very specifically that you will rise again. He will rise again. Death will be defeated very specifically in you and I who die physically in Christ or having placed our faith in Christ. And so death is defeated in you through the resurrection. First of all, through Christ and his resurrection. And that points us to the ultimate truth that now death will be defeated very specifically in those who die in Christ. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. This is the hope for us in the midst of death. And do you remember um, last week, I encourage you to picture something in your mind. This week, I want to draw the picture for you. Last week, I said, I want to, you to imagine a timeline that has these, that is the saddest straight line I've ever seen. It was the marker board that moved, not my marker. Okay. First line is, somebody told me, Pastor Andy, you need to write bigger. So I'm going to try to write bigger. Creation. Everybody see that? Starts with creation. Then the next plot on the line is the fall. Adam and Eve sinning in the garden. The last point on the... On the line is the kingdom of God. This is the, all the fullness of God's kingdom where, where God comes to take away all the evil in the world and all the death in the world. Like, 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 like Revelation chapter 21 and 22, no more crying, no more pain, all this kind of stuff. That's the kingdom. And right here we have resurrection. We have Easter. Two R's, one S. Is that right, scholars? I think that's right. What I said last week is that death came through the fall. And it brought the, the effects of death all the way over to the kingdom. That until God's kingdom comes in all of its fullness, we have to deal with the consequences of the fall, which is death. Because this was sin. And the Bible tells us that the consequence or the cost or the wage of sin is death. And so when, when Adam and Eve sinned, they passed it on to all of you and I so that our nat- the natural inclination of our heart is to move against God, to be an enemy of God, 
And, and so with that sin, it equals death. Death entered our world, and now all the effects of death will be felt until the kingdom of God is fully realized. What I said, though, is that through the resurrection of Christ, it brought all the effects of the kingdom into our world. And so it brought the kingdom backwards. Sorry. This way. The resurrection brought the kingdom into the present, and the fall brought death into the future. And right now, we live in this messy middle ground where the kingdom is breaking through all around us, but we still must deal with this thing called death. Does that make sense? If you can understand this chart, you can understand the Bible. That's good. Okay? That's good. And that was free. I get really excited about this kind of stuff. I never knew I was a visual learner, but I am. So that's why I draw all these goofy pictures. And so what happens is Jesus, wanting to point Martha to the future, hope that her brother will rise again. If you read the story, he actually raises Lazarus from the dead as the most powerful illustration of what he's talking about. He says, he, he will rise again. There's a future hope that is solid and secure. And Jesus says with a smile on his face, let me prove it to you, right? And then he raises Lazarus from the dead. And the same spirit that conquered the grave lives in you and I. It's the spirit of God that, brought, that had all the power to get Jesus up out of the grave, to call Lazarus out of the grave. And now that spirit lives in you and I by faith. I'm preaching way better than you guys are responding. Now, in the midst of death, in the midst of the death of someone who loved Jesus, Jesus himself calls us not to dwell on the past and what could have been, but on the future and what will be. Now, many songs, many songs, many, many songs in modern day Christianity don't talk about us rising from the dead. They talk about us going to live in some disembodied existence, some far off heaven. Uh, And so, but there's one song, there's one song that talks about this. And the lyrics are this, I will rise, for Jesus has overcome the grave. And for Jesus has overcome, and the grave is overwhelmed. The victory is won. He is risen from the dead. And I will rise when he calls my name. No more sorrow, no more pain. Most of modern Christianity is about getting on the heaven bus so where you can go live as a soul. But the New Testament talks about a very physical existence in a real redeemed world that God is bringing about and right now we live in this messy middle ground but the true hope in the midst of this is that this is breaking in all around us. That's the future that Jesus points Martha to. Look forward to the bold new world that began with Jesus and will be completed when he returns. Some of you are saying that's great. But everything you've talked about so far is about someone who died in Christ. What about my friend? What about my family member? What about my loved one who died? And as far as I know, they didn't have Christ. They weren't a person of faith. What about them? There's hope for you as well. Martha's response to Jesus 
is I know he will rise at the resurrection of the last day, right? She's affirming that. She, see, in, in the Bible, they don't have any of this sort of modern concepts of disembodied existence in a far-off heaven. That's not at all. They don't, they don't have any concept of that. Like, it's so ingrained in our minds. But when we look here, Jesus says, he will rise again. Martha doesn't say, what are you talking about? Martha doesn't say that. She says, I know he will rise again at the resurrection of the last day. And then, so it turns out that she didn't think that Lazarus was just going to heaven when he dies, where he can live unencumbered by the body as a soul. But Jesus says back to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, I want to give you some Greek. Ready for some Greek? Oh, it's uh, like... The sprint person and the Greek person ought to get together and be like, yes. Okay, here's the Greek for will rise. The Greek for will rise is anesthemi. 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 With an accent aigu. Okay? Then, the Greek word for resurrection is the same root word, and it's the word anastasis. Anastasis. It's the same Greek word, just a different form. So this is the verb form. He will rise. This is the noun form. I am the resurrection. Verb, noun. Some of you are like, what does that mean? We do this all the time. We do this all the time, where we use a noun as a verb. When was the last time you said that you Googled something? Okay, you Googled something. Google is a noun. It's a proper noun. It's the name of a company. But we use it as a verb, right? I will Google, or I have already Googled. Now, you got to work with me. I'm not trying to be heretical. I'm just trying to bring it into understanding. It's like... It's like you saying, it's like you being confused about a problem and saying, man, I'm really down that I missed that question on the test. So now that I know that I missed it, I will Google the answer to which Jesus says back, I am Google. (laughs) Okay, now we all know that Jesus is not Google. But... That is the same form. It's a, noun, it's a noun being used as a verb or a verb being used as a noun. It's a way of Jesus saying, Jesus says, I am the source of the action. I am the action itself. If you want to talk about will rising, then what you need to know is that I am the resurrection. Right? I am the resurrection and the life. And so we, we do this all the time. Right? And I already talked about that. Okay? So the resurrection then is not an event, it's a person. Hear me, church, the resurrection is not an event primarily, but a person. Yes, the resurrection is a historical event that actually happened in a real place in real history. But what Jesus says is that he is the resurrection. If you want to talk about the power of will rising, then we need to talk about the source of that power, which is Jesus himself. And here's what happens. Here's what I want to say to you. Hope has a name. 
right? If we talk about how this is our hope, if our future hope is not wrapped up in sort of like clouds and halos and, and, and harps, but our real hope is wrapped up in resurrection for God's people and those who die in Christ, what Jesus wants to say to us is if that is your hope, then hope has a name and his name is Jesus himself. And so, but what happens is too often we place our hope in a place. We place our hope in a place. We do this for those who did die in Christ. Where we place all of our hope in the fact that they went to heaven. And that's good because you know what? Listen, my dad was a faithful man. And I know that right now, he is enjoying all the fullness of the presence of God. That what was veiled is now unveiled for him. I have no doubt about that. I'm not saying that those who die don't go to heaven when they die. But I'm saying that that is not the end. The end is the hope of bodily resurrection in God's redeemed world. But so often we place our hope in a place at least they went to heaven when they died. Or we allow our hope to be stolen by the uncertainty of the place. Did they make it to heaven? I hope so. Are they in hell? I'm not sure. And so for those of you who have loved ones that died and you were uncertain of where they stood spiritually, let me encourage you today. Hope has a name. And hope is not found just in a place. But hope is found in a person, in the person of Jesus Christ. And if we can do that, then in the midst of loss and in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of questioning, we can come to a place where we can have peace and we can have hope because we're placing our hope in the resurrection. Jesus himself. And so, don't place your hope in a place. Place your hope in a person. And I would also encourage you to do this, those of you that have lost loved ones and you're uncertain of their eternal destiny. Place the fate of the one you have lost in the hands of God who is good and just. And then center your hope on Christ and then center your hope on Christ not on where they are or aren't because if you focus on where they're not it'll steal your hope if you focus on where you are on where they are your hope is misplaced but rather can we come to a place where we place that loved one in the hands of a God who is loving and who is just and then decide for ourselves where our hope will lie. And I believe that that will be a help and a comfort to you if you can do that. I want to close with this. When we understand this noun and verb and that Jesus himself is the resurrection, when we understand this picture and that we live in sort of this middle ground but that the good news is that the kingdom of God is breaking in and it was all brought on by the resurrection of Jesus who who brought it forward. If we can understand all of that, 
than in the midst of our of death and loss our if only turns into if Jesus our if only turns into if Jesus if Jesus is Messiah then I need to place my faith in him if Jesus is life come to life then the dead things inside of me will be brought to life as I give myself more and more to him. If Jesus is the faithful one, then his death has brought me life. If Jesus is the faithful one, then then his death and his resurrection has defeated death itself. If Jesus gives peace, then I need to lean on him for my comfort. If Jesus is the word of God made flesh, then my hope is centered on His presence, not the presence of the one that I lost. If Jesus has defeated death, then it will be defeated in me. And so I want to encourage all of you to turn your if only into if Jesus. If Jesus. And turn our gaze to the certainty of the hope that the gospel offers. Thanks for listening to the Emmaus Road Podcast. We hope this message has been encouraging to you. If you'd like to support the ministry of Emmaus Road, you can do so online. Just visit theroadfc.org and click online giving.